0: Let's start with nine on the oops, shot clock. Got it. Oops! Oops! That's a poster on a former teammate.
1: Way back! Get up! Get out of here! Go! Rainbows, high and deep. Down Wisconsin, and this game is underway
0: with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills.
1: So last night, Bucks Pistons Game 2. I- I'm sitting on my couch. It's the second quarter. Sitting on my couch, I'm watching this game, and I'm thinking, man, I was I was awfully cocky. I was awfully confident on my show today. I said it would take an act of God. It would take a miracle. divine intervention for the Bucks to lose one game in this series. And here I am. Pistons looking not bad. They're hitting some shots, getting good looks, hustling on the boards. Bucks looked a little bit sleepy. And I said, man, am I going to regret being so cognizant, regret being so confident. Well, then, and then the game got out of hand after halftime. The Bucks win one twenty to ninety nine, a twenty one point win. And if you only watch the first half, you might be surprised or or, or not uh, to see the final score and to see the margin as large as it was. Because it looked like a competitive game. It looked like a real game all the way through halftime. The Pistons actually led at halftime. Now, I wasn't necessarily worried. I wasn't necessarily in fear that the Bucs were going to lose, and I'll expand on that here in a minute or two. I I don't know if I was necessarily ever scared, but I was thinking, getting awfully mouthy uh, on WKTY earlier today. I was getting awfully cocky. Am I going to regret that? Am I too confident in the Bucs? Well, no, I'm not, because the Bucs won by 21. They go up in the Series 2-0 and head back to Detroit, and and it's interesting because they always say uh, about NBA Series, or I guess about... NHL series too, although I don't follow that sport as closely, that the series doesn't really get going until the home team loses at home, right? So until the road team steals a game, uh, the series really isn't isn't going. So let's look at it this way. The Bucks go off to a 2-0 lead in this series. What if the Pistons would have won yesterday? Well, now all of a sudden Detroit's feeling pretty good because they were able to split. They were able to scrape out one win and now they're going back home. So home court advantage in the playoffs is nice. It's great, you get to start and end at home, but if you do falter in those first couple of games, the advantage swings right around to the road team. So the Bucks getting two very necessary wins to go up two to zero, as much as I think they're going to sweep the Pistons anyway. And I think if the Bucks did lose last night for whatever reason, like I said yesterday, by the hand of God, by divine intervention that they would be fine and probably win the series in five. But nonetheless, they go up to uh, a one twenty ninety nine, 99 a 21-point margin when all was said and done last night. This is the Wisco Sports Show presented by Played Against Sports here on WKTY. If you want to get in touch with me, you want to talk Bucks, you can do so. 608-796-2558. We'll talk to Dave Carney. He will join me on that. Uh, mentioned five-star telecom talking text line coming up at 530 because as confident as I am, as, cock- as cocky as I am about this Bucks team, Dave still might have me beat. Uh, so we'll get his view coming up here in about 20 minutes. Yesterday in the first half, Pistons were doing a couple of things very, very well. They're they, they, they were playing very high energy. They're bouncing around off the glass. They were doing a very good job rebounding, doing a very good job of doing the little things to just be annoying, to just be pesky. And what they were doing a very good job of was, was getting just a little bit of penetration, getting their ball handler just a little bit downhill, and then they were getting those driving kicks, right? Guard would get into the paint and kick it out for a good shot. Now, the Pistons aren't the best team in the league. They don't have a ton of great shooters. They have a few. Luke Kennard's been pretty good. They didn't hit a ton of the threes, but they took a ton. In the first half yesterday, uh, the Pistons took 21 threes. 23, excuse me. 23 threes in the first half yesterday. That's a lot. Pistons were heaving them up. And... For the most part, they were hitting. Luke Kennard was feeling it a little bit. Langston Galloway hit a couple of shots. Like the, the Pistons, they were shooting and they were keeping up with the pace of the Milwaukee Bucks. Those drive and kick looks were, were very, very good. And the Bucks weren't getting good shots. The second quarter, if you watch the second quarter yesterday, which is where the Pistons probably played their most impressive stretch of basketball and then ultimately went into halftime up by one point. The Bucs weren't getting good shots. They were getting contested threes off the dribble. They weren't assisted. The ball wasn't moving. Or they were taking pull-up two-point shots, which a very, very simple way to look at Coach Budenholzer's system is three-pointers and layups. Anything in between is, is not worth it, right? And and obviously, there's exceptions. Obviously, Chris Middleton likes to shoot the mid-range, and, and obviously, Giannis has a little bit of a, a touch in and around the paint. Like, those aren't the only shots the Bucs take, but in an ideal world, those are the only shots uh, that you would really seek, that you would design, that you would scheme up. Bucks were taking a lot of those. Not a lot of good assisted threes. Not a lot of layups. Contested shots. Long twos. Runners. Floaters. Not shots that you necessarily scheme for. Not shots that you look for and hunt for. And it wasn't a pretty second quarter. And because the Bucks are so much better than the Pistons, the margin was only one at halftime. If you compare the second quarters, the Pistons outscored the Bucks thirty-two to twenty after being outscored by 9 points, 11 points, excuse me, in the first quarter. So the Pistons made a charge. They made a headway in the second quarter. They're just not they're just not that good. They're just not good enough. And then at halftime, the Bucks did what they do, and they came out and and put it on in the third quarter. Yesterday in the first half, as uncomfortable as I was, maybe because I was thinking, man, I was real cocky about the Bucs. Really, really cocky about the Bucs earlier. In. And now the Pistons are making this a game. As stressed as I was in that game, as annoyed by the Pistons as I was, the only moment, the most stressful moment for me was when the Pistons flopped a couple of times and, and drew some offensive fouls. One was on Giannis, and the and the, the player's sitting, you know, on his can on the boards, fist pumping, yelling at the bench. Like, that was the, the most impressive, uh, the biggest momentum swing possible in an NBA playoff series is, is drawing a drawing a charge. How dumb is that? And I'm sitting on my couch, I'm like, oh, that just bugs me. Yeah, we got Giannis Dung from the free throw line. Chris Middleton is feeling his jump shot right now. Eric Bledsoe actually led the team in scoring last night. We'll talk more about that. I mean, the Bucks are clicking. They are playing very, very, very good basketball. And the Pistons are getting off. The Pistons are getting hyped because they were able to flop and draw a foul charge on Giannis. And then that's going to be met with slapping the floor, yelling, fist bumps to the bench. Like, come on. That's just annoying. That's just, that's just gross. But if that's as annoyed as I got, if that's as stressed as I got about this game last night, that's all you need to know, right? I wasn't stressed by saying, man, Luke Kennard just won't miss. Man, they can't rebound over Andre Drummond. I wasn't, no, I wasn't thinking about that stuff. I was, <laughs> I was bothered that Langston Galloway was hitting the deck trying to put Giannis in foul trouble. That Andre Drummond was, was tumbling over trying to rack up fouls on Giannis so they could have a chance in this game. That's when I was annoyed. And that tells you really all you need to know. 120-99, to 99, the Bucs take game two of this series. Now, it was it was essentially tied at halftime. The Pistons led by one at halftime. Here's the thing. We see a lot of teams, the, the Pacers in the Celtics game last night was a great example. We see a lot of teams who are less talented compete for three quarters or compete for a half and hang in there and look like they can hang with the big boys, right? Like, like we have seen the Clippers hang in with Golden State only to kind of get road raced in the second half. Or we've seen, last night, the Pacers hang in there right up until the very end and then Boston and, and the superstar talent takes over. One part and one facet of the game sets all elite teams apart. No matter the sport. Sets all the elite, the really talented these super successful teams apart. We've talked about this with the Bucks in the regular season. We've talked about this with the Brewers. We've talked about this with UWL Basketball just a couple of weeks ago. All the elite teams do this. And we saw it big time last night. And that's why the Bucks pulled away in the second half. And I'll tell you exactly what I'm talking about. Coming up next, the Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Don't go anywhere. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for tuning in. The show is always presented by Play It Again Sports. We're talking Bucks. They took care of business last night, won 20-99, the final score. A lot of twists and turns in this game, a lot of different details, a lot of different variables, unlike game one, which, as we talked about last week, was really over before it started. The first play, you went, okay, here we go. This thing's done. Last night, not so much, but certainly in the second half, it had that feeling. It was a long, winding, interesting road to get to that point, so we're digging into the details. Dave Carney joins us on the 5-star telecom talking text line coming up at 5.30. Of course, you know him as uh, the partner to Matthew P. Scraty on mornings with Dave and Scraty here on WKTY. We'll talk to him, get his opinion. When we talked last, just a couple of minutes ago, I, I said, look, the, the Bucks were down one at halftime, right? And And at the time, I wasn't really worried, but I was... Kind of rubbing my hands together. Okay, here we go. Maybe my strong confidence, borderline cockiness was a little bit too much for this team. Maybe the, the Pistons are going to dig down and, and and find a way to scratch out a game here or there. Now, I think it would only be a game here or there. I don't think this game goes m- more than five. The series go more than five at the very longest. But still, may, maybe maybe I was wrong. And then I forgot that all good teams have this in their back pocket. All great elite teams at any level in any sport, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, even at college level. I, I talked about this with the UWL men's basketball team earlier this year. All great teams know how to respond, right? They know how to react and they know how to follow their coach or their best player. Last night, and I tweeted about it. You can follow me at Keystroker Grant, follow the station at WKTY. I tweeted the way that the Bucks respond to Coach Bud is awesome. Almost unbelievable. Here's what I'm talking about. The Bucks go into halftime down one point. Okay. They come out into the third quarter, and, and Golden State is a great example of this as well. Remember when, when Golden State last year and the year before were rattling off all these titles, they're winning all these games. What was their best quarter? What's the quarter that everybody talks about? It's not the first quarter. They weren't they weren't a hot starting team, although sometimes I'm sure. They weren't incredible more so than average in the fourth quarter, it was the third quarter. That's where they made their hey. They came out of the locker room and you you better be ready to go because you were going to get run out of the building if you weren't ready to go uh, from the first whistle in the third quarter. And let's think back to Jason Kidd. What was always the problem? They started game slow in the first quarter. Yeah, but when they came out of the locker room at, in the third, they, they were sleepwalking. They're still asleep. Last night, that could not have been more different. Now, if you just look at the third quarter, in isolation, the Bucks scored 35 points. The Pistons scored 17. Now, don't get me wrong. That's just about as deep as you would have to. as deep as you'd have to go. Right? You don't have to look much deeper than that to to prove your point. But they came out with scripted plays. They came out with shots. They specifically hunted for shots for Giannis, who had 13 points. 13 points in the third quarter. 11 of them in rapid, rapid succession, right out of the gate before he was even substituted for. Giannis had 13 points. And Coach Bud talked about how I look, I don't think Giannis felt good about his first half. So what did they do? They go into halftime. Coach Bud probably had some choice words, and I and I'll share that sound bite and exactly what he described as the scene in the locker room here in a minute. Coach Bud said, I don't, I don't think Giannis was happy with his performance in the first half. So we come out, we gotta play through Giannis. Let's let's get him the ball. Let's hunt for shots that he likes. Oh yeah. And, and Giannis had thirteen points in the third quarter. Now, others others contributed in the third. Eric Bledsoe had five. Sterling Brown with five. Brooke Lopez had two. Chris Middleton had three. And that's good. That's great. And you, you want everybody to be involved, even at, at some level, as, as little as two points. Giannis is the main attraction. Giannis is the main star. Everything goes through Giannis. And at halftime, I thought they made a conscious effort to say, okay, what can we do better with our best player, with our superstar in the third quarter? The way this Bucks team reacts to Coach Budenholzer is unlike anything I've seen. And maybe that's because I've been conditioned watching the Bucs with Jason Kidd. Or Joe Prunty, who, look, I like Joe Prunty. I'm sure he's a nice guy. I don't feel that way about Jason Kidd. But he was an extension of Jason Kidd, right? They would come out half asleep. They'd sleepwalk through the first couple of minutes in the third quarter. And when you let that happen, you let a poor team play their way back into a game or you allow an elite team, a competitive team, to run away with the damn thing. The Bucs respond. We talked about this all season long, in the regular season. Now, this is on a bigger picture scale, right? This isn't in the course of four quarters, but in a regular season. What did the Bucs not do? They didn't lose back-to-back games. Because when they tripped up, when they lost, they reacted, they responded, they adapted, and they came back and they solved their problems and almost played motivated the next game, right? So take that idea and scrunch it into a four-quarter contest, right? First and second quarter, that might be considered a regular season loss. And love how they played. Giannis didn't feel great about his game. Now, they were only down one at half. I'm not liking the sky was falling, right? But they reacted. They responded. They adapted. They came out in the third quarter. and They said, all right, here we go. And away they go. 35 points in the third compared to Detroit's 17. And when you compare great teams like the Bucks to not so great teams like the Pistons, although they are a playoff team, They scored 17 points, the Pistons did. The Bucs scored 35. Giannis had 13. Blake Griffin got teed up from the bench. That's the comparison. Elite team and an okay team. How did they react at halftime? How did they respond at halftime? And then what did they come out and do on the actual court? Well, the Bucs ran away with it in the third quarter. And that's what good teams do. Not just in the NBA, but in the NFL and in college basketball, and in hockey, and in baseball. Every sport. Look to see how teams respond after failure. And that could be a loss, that could be a bad quarter, that could be a bad sequence, right? You have three possessions, and you have a couple ugly turnovers and an air ball that turns into a 24-second violation. Alright, timeout. Now when they come back, how do they respond? It doesn't have to just be a loss. It doesn't have to be a bad quarter. You can shrink it down as small, or blow it up as big as you want. The big teams all behave the same. That is a a, a constant theme with all the best teams. Coach Bud talked about yesterday. Uh, after the game. He was asked about uh, his message at halftime. What did you have to say? And, and the reporter. Uh, who is Eric Name of the Athletic. Joked a little bit. That I'm, I'm, maybe it was a little bit louder. Maybe the volume went up in the locker room. Uh, and that got a little bit of a chuckle out of Coach Bud. What was the message like? What were you focusing on at halftime, and what was the message that ultimately led to uh, the blow-up third quarter from not only your entire team but but Giannis as well? We were not
0: rebounding. We weren't taking care of the boards. Um, I think they were just kind of outworking us. But it was, and I think you know they were they were playing well. Um, you know the pick and roll game with Jackson and Drummond. Um, you know they were effective, and you know I think you have to give credit to Detroit. And we just said we want to keep doing what we've always done. We just got to be better. Particularly, we got to be better taking care of the boards. I thought a couple transition baskets. Um, we didn't stick to our principles. Um, but it was, it was just kind of a normal halftime.
1: And, you know, let's just do what we've been doing. Let's just do it a lot better. I really like that message. Let's do what we've been doing. Let's just do it a little bit better. That's how you know a team has an identity. And that's so cliche, right? You ever, you ever hear a big talking head on sports radio or on sports TV saying, what's this team's identity? Well, if a team's good enough, you don't always, you don't always need an identity, right? What are the Golden State Warriors? Now Now that Boogie Cousins is hurt, it's, it's a little bit different identity and it might be a little bit more clear, but if you're that good, you don't need to have an identity. I, I think the Bucks are great, but they do have an identity. They play within Coach Bud's system we talked about earlier. Three-point shots and layups. You want to minimize... All the other shots because they're not ideal. They're not high percentage shots. They're not super high value. And you take a look at the analytics of the game, layups and threes, and that's what the Bucks were trying to get in the first half. The Pistons, for the most part, are doing a pretty good job keeping them away from that. And Coach Bud says at halftime, "Look, we're we have the right idea. We haven't executed it. You you guys know what the game plan is. You know what our identity as a team is. Go out and do it better, <laughs> right? And that's exactly what they did. And I do think for for a moment." Uh, the Bucks knew that they just blew out the Pistons by 35 in Game One, and in the first half, they probably didn't feel like they needed to come out and, and run this thing like a track meet, right? And at halftime, they there was probably a, a slice of that team that said, "All right, all right, I guess we'll, I guess we'll get going, right?" It, it's like the, the the assignment at work that's uh, that's due on March 31st, and it's assigned in February. Like, all right, yeah, we'll get to it. I'll I'll get started on it, yeah. And then uh, here here we are on, on March. 28th and you're like, all right, I'll actually get it done. I'll actually get it into gear or use a UWL example, right? I got, I got a big paper assigned. It's due on April 1st. It's March 20th. Yeah, I can put that off a couple of days. Yeah, I'll, I'll get to, I'll, I'll get to it when it comes. And I, and I think the bucks do have a certain level of, of confidence and comfort in their ability and in also their identity. And in what coach Bud wants them to do, the way that they play offense, the way that they play defense, the way they run the floor. They're confident in what they are. They, they probably know. All right, the first two quarters, let's not get hurt. Let's not overdo ourselves here. We can come and win this in the second half. That's exactly what they did. Good teams show up in the second half, especially in the third quarter. The Golden State Warriors last couple of years have been a tremendous example. Go and look at their splits in the playoffs. Yeah, they might mess around with a team for the first two quarters, but when that whistle blows after halftime, here we go. And it's easy for that to sometimes slide under the radar because you look at the fourth quarter, you maybe look at how the game starts right away. Third quarter can sometimes get lost. A lot of times, you watch NBA playoff games, the winning team is taking that third quarter, is winning that third quarter, and a lot of times that'll tell you uh, who's going to end up winning the game. You show me the third quarter, I can draw a conclusion on who's the better team and who, for the most part, uh, is coming out on top. The Bucks yesterday, 35 points in the third. Pistons, 17. Giannis, 13 points in the third quarter, and Blake Griffin got teed up from the bench again. There's your comparison. There's the difference. Good teams do certain things well, like playing well in the third quarter, reacting and adapting and responding after a stretch of bad play. Pistons didn't do that last night. Up one at halftime, and is, is, is maybe as reluctant as I was because I I was on the show yesterday saying how the Pistons have zero chance. It's going to take an act of God for them to win a game, right? And here we are. Bucks down at halftime. I'm thinking, oh, maybe I laid on a little too heavy. Well, the Bucks proved me right. The Bucks proved a lot of people right last night, running away with this thing, one twenty to one ninety nine. And we will wait now for Game Three, which will be on Saturday. And of course, we'll be right here on WKTY. So make sure you're hanging around uh, and enjoying Ted Davis, Justin Garcia, and the whole crew uh, as they continue through the playoffs. Hopefully, we're going to have a lot of more Bucks games. I was talking to my buck uh, my boss earlier today as we're making the schedule and figuring out which games are going to be where. Hopefully, we got to schedule a lot more Bucks games. Here on WKTY. Because I can get used to this. This is a lot of fun. 120 to 99. The Bucks take a 2 nothing lead. In the first round of the Eastern Conference playoffs. When we come back. I'm going to talk to somebody. Who is much more confident than myself. And you know how I feel about this team. That's Dave Carney. Mornings with Dave and Scrady. Right here on WKTY. We'll get Dave thoughts on just about everything. Uh, from Blake Griffin getting teed up on the bench to Thon Maker's career, well, may, it might as well be over after what Giannis did to him last night. So we'll get Dave's thoughts on all that stuff on the Five Star Telecom Talking Text Line when the Wisco Sports Show returns with me, your host Grant Bills, right here on WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY 967 FM. 5:80 a.m. streaming live at wk the show presented by played again sports i'm your host grant bills thanks for hanging out we are reveling in celebrating uh the bucks game 2 victory last night 120 to 99 and i look i love when the bucks blow teams out like this i absolutely love it it's fun to watch great for fans it's great that the team is playing this well but when I got to come on here and talk about this game and and try to talk about it in detail and break it down and and basically do more than just wave pom-poms it gets difficult when they're winning by this much right what what do I talk about they they, they ran away with the damn thing so today I got some reinforcements we tried last week, couldn't make it happen so Dave Carney now joins me on the five-star telecom talking text line Dave I know you're loving the Bucks win what's going on today
0: well, Bill, uh, thanks for uh, having me back after the the terrible phone problems that we had here from Stoddard. <laughs> Turns out that wasn't our phone problems, but a utility button problem. And I'm glad to be here uh, to to get this thing out. Grant, listen, been hearing your show this afternoon. Great job because you're you're trying your best to make it seem like the Pistons are indeed a threat to win a game, which they're uh, essentially not. I'll give you one of the, the good points of the game for the Pistons, and I had to do some research to this. Bruce Brown, you ever heard of him? I have not. Okay, neither has most anybody else. He was <laughs> a plus four last night for the Pistons, and that was the best plus minus that a Pistons player had. Uh, so, Grant, that's the only positive play. And, and by the way, Bruce Brown had that five points and two steals uh, to go along with two rebounds in 17 minutes off the bench. So here's the thing. Detroit can't win a game. It's absolutely not going to matter if they're playing in Detroit or if they're playing in Milwaukee. The Bucs have shown themselves to be the best a home team in the league and be the best, if not the second best, i would have to check their record again. Road team in the NBA, their point differential plus and against, uh, sort of like run differential in baseball, is the best in the NBA. Yep. They have won 14 series against Eastern Conference teams. They have not lost these series this year to an Eastern Conference team, and they won't start now. I do believe that Mike Budenholzer's modus operandi, if you will, is to get this Bucks team out of the first round in four games to ensure that the ghosts of whatever happened in the past are thoroughly wiped away, and they're going to go into Detroit, and and, and they're going to key these guys up. I think it's going to be ugly, and it's going to be fast. The first half that you talked about, I was actually on the line with another one of our WKTY listeners, ironically, last night, and, and we had absolutely zero fear at the half that this would be anything other than a Bucks blowout because – I picked them to cover this game by more than fifteen and when I pick something to cover I expect a win.
1: <laughs> Dave, you don't play to lose, that's for sure. I I'm watching this game last night. The Bucks down one at halftime and I wasn't worried. I just I thought they'd get it going. They always do. Maybe I have been lulled in- into Just, I I don't know, maybe I've been lulled to sleep by Jason Kidd and Joe Prunty the last couple years. How impressive is it to you to actually watch a coach get through to a team and and to really, they respond to him, Dave. I, I don't know what other way to describe it.
0: Grant, I've told you this before off-air, and I'll share it with our listeners. I can't recall if I've shared it on mornings with Dave and Scruti, but if not, this will be breaking news here to you. I've seen this before with my own two eyes. When I lived in Los Angeles in you know the late 90s and in through the early 2000s, the Lakers had these guys, Shaq and Colby, and even Rick Fox and Robert Ory, and they seemed to have a really good team. They would have coaches like Dell Harris, and they would win a lot of games, and they would go to the playoffs and lose in the first round. And then Phil Jackson came, and immediately they won three straight championships. Now I'm not suggesting that Milwaukee is built right now, today, on the 18th of April to do that. Uh, but what I saw is the same thing that I'm seeing this year. Watching 82 basketball games this season as part of my job, which is the best job in the world, um, I watched this team believe from the, the preseason in training camp. They believed. So Mike Budenholzer, who has come in with his entire staff from Atlanta, save for a Darvin Ham, and actually I think he, I think Darvin Ham might have worked with him a bit too in Atlanta. Um, this staff has come here to Milwaukee and installed in this team a belief that not only a can they compete in the regular season, um, Grant, but b win a championship. When you have Giannis Antetokounmpo, who on an off night is a plus sixteen with twenty six, twelve, four, and two blocks, you know, playing thirty minutes is, is you know maybe not even the best player on the court. I mean, this is a really scary team. And so, what the Lakers did is what the Bucs are doing. They beat everybody handily. Now, in LA, you got all the credit because it was Los Angeles, and the national media talked about it so part of what you're hearing yourself go through is is a fatigue that I think Wisconsin people have because we don't get the credit outside of generally the region for being dominant except for the Packers which is an international brand and they're recognized respected you know globally most Wisconsin teams don't get that credit and I think this series is going to be one of the building blocks in opening the eyes of all these pundits and then what's going to happen is the Johnny Cublate are going to pile on and they always knew it. It's gonna be like one of our uh, callers smart packer fan. They always knew
1: it. Uh, of course. As it's, soon as it happens. it's easy to jump on the bandwagon right as it's uh, it's pulling into the parking lot, right? And this is and Dave Carney joining us mornings with Dave and Scrady here on WKTY. He joins the Wisco Sports Show. Dave, I like what you said. Budenholzer brought in a culture, brought in this belief, and, and I I wanna go one farther. I wanna I wanna do that one better because I do think Budenholzer and John Horst, head coach and general manager, work in conjunction. How big of a switch has it been? Jason Kidd's out the door, in comes Budenholzer, and, and right before him, John Horst, to see, okay, Delli traded away, Thon traded away, and then minutes upped for guys like DJ Wilson, and, and, and just to see this flop and swap around the roster, and to be honest, every improvement, every change that has happened over the last year has looked brilliant. Have you And no more so than Thon Maker, because he has been a nightmare the last two nights. I, I, have the Bucks done any wrong the last year or so? I, I'm really, really impressed.
0: If, 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 I can't objectively say no it, because it would take some absolute fact-finding to make that sort of a case. But, Grant, I'll tell you, we talked to Peter Fagan, who's the president of the Bucks, on the show a couple of months back. And you can find the archives on WKTYsports.com. It's the Overtime Podcast. But we talked to Peter Fagan, and, and I brought up the fact that John Horst has done a masterful job with this roster this year. And, and he said, Grant, that John doesn't get the credit he deserves. When you look at the Brooke Lopez sign, now, Brooke Lopez had a seemingly quiet game last night, right? 8.6 boards, but he was plus 27. Grant, and what that means for our listeners that are uninitiated, that in the 34 minutes that Brooke Lopez is on the court, Brooke Lopez was essentially the most effective player by virtue of a statistical measurement, similar to what they do in baseball, right? This analytics game. Yeah. That's a guy that, that signed for $3 million. Okay? He played a career low with the Lakers last year. Probably should have stayed out there if LeBron wanted to get shooters. I'm super glad that he came here to Milwaukee. That's the kind of signing. When you look at what Bloodsell did, signing for Les Ant, no, you you can't objectively look without being uber critical. And I guess you could say this. Tony Sell's a nice player. Fine. He's injured right now, but he's still on the roster. If you were to give John Horst any negative mark, it would be for not finding a way to trade away Tony Sell's $11 million contract before the start of this next upcoming offseason. However, Tony Snell might be one of those perfect players to use if you want to dangle trade bait, say the Bucks pick it, whatever that's going to be, uh, 30 this season, right? Um, or, or right about there. I think it yeah. will be 30. It, so what if they want to trade Tony Snell in a 30th pick uh, for some, you know, cap relief, a future first-round conditional lottery pick, uh, get this guy cleared off your books? That's something they may be able to do. So other than that, no, Grant, you can't really look at John Horst and say that he's done a bad job. You can't look at this roster objectively, and I know it sounds crazy because it's like, wait, this is the Bucks, right? You can't look at this roster and say 1 through 12, they don't have guys that on any given night could go out and beat the starting five of most teams not most playoff teams uh, but most teams
1: it's really impressive the way that the bucks have have gone from dysfunctional and almost feeling like just a mom and pop shop to uh, competitive in the world of analytics and the player in the in the world of player analysis it has been really fascinating to watch Dave Carney joins us on the five star telecom talk and text line so Dave I'll leave this up to you uh Detroit and Milwaukee will play again on Saturday. Oh, uh, that'll be Saturday night here on WKTY for Game Three as the series shifts back to Detroit. I'm going to either ask you your feelings about that game, or uh, and I will expect you will go this route because y- you think like I that this series is over. What going on in the Eastern Conference playoffs right now that pertains to the Bucks? What's catching your eye?
0: Okay, so as pertains to the Bucks, yes, I do think a the Pistons game or Pistons series, excuse me, is going to be a sweep. And we had a poll question to that effect this morning, and I think even right now there's still votes uh, coming in. It, it's mostly in favor of Bucks winning in four or five games is, is, is second. But I think 64% plus are saying four games, and I'm with them. I, I don't worry about Boston. I know that sounds trite because Boston's supposed to be on paper a very good team. They can't score 100 points against the Pacers, and the Pacers were up both games yeah. late in the game. Okay, now Boston ends up closing up, but there's no Victor Oladipo for Indiana. I give Indiana a, a, a ton of credit for how they've been able to shut down the bigs. Uh, Boston. So Boston, to me, is not a threat. I'm sorry. With the Bucks having home court, that's not a threat. You have to always wonder about what Toronto will do. They got stung in the first game by Orlando, and that was a fluke. I mean, if you will. I mean, Orlando hung in there, and credit to the team. But you have to wonder about that particular team being that they're the two seed. So if they make their way through to the conference finals, that would be the Bucks' opponent. Um, ultimately, though, Grant, I, I really don't, and I know you you came on the show today talking about you're super confident. You know there's nobody more confident than me yeah. in this Bucks team. I don't think they're beatable. When you've got Pat Conaghan, who was a throwaway player, playing 31 minutes last night, going for 18-9, three assists, and four, blocked, four blocks shots went. Four block shots, the swagger of George Hill, who does not have to score but four points to dish out five assists. I mean, these are savvy playoff veterans. Having Kyle Gasol, a two-time NBA champion, and a guy that's made it to the championship three times in a row. Okay, Kobe and he nearly had a 3 You know, people forget about that, too. This guy's over there talking to DJ Wilson, talking to Tim Frazier, talking to Malcolm Brogdon, and talking to Chris Middleton, and talking to Giannis. Right, I mean, how important is it for Giannis, who is the most selfless superstar in the league? So ultimately, the, what concerns me is the, the Bucks getting injured. Right, like so, we've seen Malcolm Brogdon go down. We saw what Nikola Miracic went through. Um, if the Bucks get injured and key positions start to not be available for this team, then ultimately they could find themselves out of yeah. ammunition. But. I am thoroughly impressed by the way that some of these guys, like Tim Frazier, who made the playoff roster, I like Pat Connaughton, who has really been just such a, a, a tremendous surprise. What they've been able to do gives me great hope.
1: It's been really impressive, Dave, and I hope to talk to you again about it long into the playoffs. I'm hoping we've got a lot more games to, to talk about and to have here on WKTY. Dave, enjoy your Easter weekend. Thanks again. Fear, fear the deer, baby. <laughs> fear the deer. No better way to leave it. Dave Carney for mornings with Dave and Scrady joining us on the five-star telecom talk and text line here on the Wisco sports show. I, Dave might be just about as confident in the Bucks as anybody who I have talked to, and I love it. I feel the same way, but I also almost feel a sense of responsibility to myself to keep my expectations down, to keep my hopes down. Because, man, if this team trips up, especially before the Eastern Conference Finals or before the NBA Finals, man, I'm just going to be crushed. So I'm, I'm keeping my, my, my level head. Uh, I'm keeping calm. And Dave's willing to, to put it out there, so I appreciate it. Once again, Dave, uh, Mornings with Dave and Scrady. You can hear him. He'll be back tomorrow, 6 a.m. Uh, with Matthew P. And I'm sure they'll be talking plenty about Game 3, which is coming up on Saturday. As much bucks as we've talked today, and I've had a ton of fun because this team is a ton of fun, and the playoffs are, well, this is my favorite time of year. I do want to talk about something else, and that's the Milwaukee Brewers. They haven't played since we've talked last. They've had a 1240 game yesterday. They have a, a day with the Dodgers tonight, which is uh, shortly removed after playing them right before St. Louis. I don't necessarily want to talk about this game. I want to actually continue to talk about Corbin Burns because I was asking myself a question earlier today. And I really can't find the answer. Maybe you can help me. 608-796-2558, the five-star telecom talking text line. Love to hear from you. When we come back, this is the Wisco Sports Show presented by Play It Again Sports right here on WKTY. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. I'm your host Grant Bills. Thanks for hopping aboard. Brewers taking over shortly after uh, I take off. They got a seven o'clock date with the Dodgers tonight. Zach Davies is going to be on the hill. We talked about this the other day. Is Zach Davies uh, quietly the Brewers' best starter right now? I, I know he had health issues last year and he's kind of in and out of the the lineup. He's been consistent this year. He, he's hasn't had to miss time. Hasn't to be up and down, back and forth from the bullpen. He's just. Had an opportunity to be a legit starting pitcher on a routine basis, and he's been excellent. So I, I know the other day I, I talked how I was excited. I thought we were in for a good Corbin Burns game, and I was wrong. A couple weeks ago, I, I was just jacked to see Freddie Peralta, and he went out and you know laid a you know what right on right on the pitcher's mouth. So I, I guess I won't get out over my skis, but Zach Davies is pitching very well right now. We'll see if that continues tonight. Uh Brewers, Dodgers. Uh, shortly after 7 o'clock. We'll start right here on WKTY. Here's my question, and it's about pitching. Not just about Zach Davies, but to set the scene. The Milwaukee Brewers went into this year knowing that their starting rotation was going to be Alicia Seen, Zach Davies, Brandon Woodruff, Freddie Peralta, Corbin Burns. Okay, five guys. Five-man starting rotation. Three of them uh, are somewhat of a wild card. You act, You love the upside, but none of them have been starting pitchers opening day. Uh, to playoffs before they, they well, most of them have seen time except for Corbin Burns in and out of the starting lineup or in the bullpen. So, you know, they have the ability. You're not 100% sure how it's going to turn out, but you like your odds. The Brewers are obviously confident, right? We talked all season long about how the Brewers once again are more confident in their own talent in the organization and in, on the roster than the rest of the the, the MLB is right and their fans are, and the media who covers the team and talks about the team are. Because all offseason, we heard, well, Dallas Keuchel's out there. You go get him. You could re-sign Wade Miley, which I really, really wanted. I thought that would have been great. But the Brewers are like, man, we're good. We're fine. You might not be confident in Freddie Peralta and Brandon Woodruff, and you might not think Brandon, uh, Corbin Burns is a surefire thing, but we do. We have confidence in our guys. Doesn't matter what everyone on the outside says. And then last year, that worked out for him. Because they liked what they had in Yolisha's seen And we were like, okay, like, it should be a nice piece. And he turned out to be the team's ace. So the Brewers have, have have had luck letting it ride with guys in the organization and not going out and spending trade capital or spending free agency money on other starting pitchers, right? They could have brought back Wade Miley. They didn't. What about Gio Gonzalez? He, that's an option. They didn't bring him back either. Brewers liked the guys that they had in the rotation. But once you start to do the math, once you start to think about it, I don't know if this was the perfect move. I don't know if this was calculated. I don't know if this was thought through. Or maybe it wasn't. The Brewers just didn't care. You know what you have in Yolisha Seen, and I think the Brewers for the most part knew what they had in Zach Davies. As long as he's healthy, as long as he's consistently in the in the rotation, he's not missing starts. He's a he's a damn reliable pitcher. And that's what he's been so far this season. But then you get to the the group of three guys. Burns, Peralta, Woodruff. Okay, let's just think by the law of averages here. And Brewers fans, you have plenty of experience with this. Willie Peralta is a great example. Giovanni Gallardo is a great example. Guys that the Brewers have brought up and were the next big thing. The, this is it. This is a guy. This is the ace. This is the best homegrown pitcher we have in franchise history. This is the best guy to come through our minor league system only to watch it fizzle out, right? Now, new general manager, new leadership in the manager position and some pitching coaches and such. So there's reason to believe that the Brewers were right in being confident about Corbin Burns and Freddie Peralta, Brandon Woodruff. I mean, we saw it ourselves last year. Saw success from all three of these guys. Here's the problem, though. I don't know if it's, I don't want to say responsible. I don't know if it was correct to assume that all three of these guys were going to hit. I think at the beginning of this year, if you said, hey, Grant, Corbin Burns is going to be good, Brandon Woodruff's going to be good, but Freddie Peralta, he's just not going to stick. He's just not going to work out. I'd say, okay, you got two or three. Or Brandon Woodruff's going to be great, Freddie Peralta is going to be a good starter, but Corbin Burns just couldn't figure it out. They, they had to move him back to the pen. I'd say, okay, I'd, I'd probably take that. But that being said, and that's realistic, right? To hit two out of three, that's 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 a that's a great outcome. It's To hit on two out of three, especially with all the the falters uh, and the, and the missteps that we've seen with the Brewers and their upper level pitching talent uh, and their homegrown talent the last couple of years. If the Brewers thought, and they should have thought, that at best they were going to hit on two out of these three guys, what about the other guy? And and what are they going to do with the rotation now? Because they went into this year with a five-man rotation. All right. Now, Well, now Freddie Peralta is on the injured list, and Corbin Burns is faltering. Now, I don't think that Corbin Burns is going to miss a start. Craig Council talked earlier today about how that decision hasn't been made. It would be coming up this weekend, right? Especially with Freddie Peralta on the IL. But what was their plan B? What was their backup plan? Worst case scenario, in the team meeting, David Stearns goes, okay, we like Shasin, we like Davies, we're not worried about those guys. But realistically, with our three young arms, we're hoping to hit on two of those. Well, th- there's four spots right there. There's four starting pitchers. Who's the fifth? Can't go with a four-man rotation for the entire year. And what if somebody gets hurt? Well, now Freddie Peralta's hurt. Well, now you have Yoli, Shasin, and Zach Davies, who you like. And Brandon Woodruff, who you like, but you want to see more from. Well, and Freddie Peralt is injured, and Corbin Burns has been a home run machine. His first four or five starts. So so what 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 was the backup plan for when this happened? Because one injury and one struggling pitcher, that's not that unrealistic. You know? That, that's just the nature of sports. One guy's gonna get hurt. One guy's probably not gonna be who you thought he was going to be. That's not that's not a catastrophe. It's not unrealistic. That's just common sense. That's the nature of sports. I sit here. What was the Brewers' plan B? Freddie Peralta gets hurt, and, and Corbin Burns is so bad, he's almost unpitchable. Well, what was their plan B? Is it to bring Chase Anderson from the bullpen? Junior Guerra? I like Junior Guerra, but, well, they pulled Junior Guerra out of the bullpen. They're down another arm in a, in a bullpen that's already been kind of a, a puzzle to try to put together. What was their What was their plan B? Now, I got to think they had one because I can't imagine David Stearns thought, all right, Shasina Davies are both going to be great. Freddie Peralta, Corbin Burns, and and, and Brandon Woodruff are all going to hit and everybody's going to stay healthy. And here we go, World Series, here we come. Like, that just wouldn't be realistic thinking. That wouldn't be thorough. David Stearns wouldn't be doing his job. So I wonder, I wonder what their thought process was all along. I'm not saying this is a catastrophe, the Brewers. Not what I'm saying at all. They're 12-7. and 7. Season's been great so far. They start with the Dodgers tonight. But this, this is just the nature of sports. One guy got hurt. One guy's not panning out. What, what do you do now? That's why when we talk about the Packers all the time, when I'm approaching a draft or a free agency period or trade options, I, I like to operate under the assumption that one great player is going to get hurt. For example, this coming year, what if Devontae Adams gets hurt? Well, now what do the Packers do? Because you can't just say, well, shoot, we had a good run. We'll try again next year. No! That would be lazy and, and, frankly, irresponsible management on the part of Brian Gutekunst and his staff to not plan for one injury. That's all it would take. So when I when I look at the Brewers' front office, I don't necessarily understand what what their plan was here because it's a, a really realistic outcome to have one young pitcher not work out and another one get hurt. And now you're stuck with Yoli Seen who I like, who everybody likes, Zach Davies, who's been good, and Brandon Woodruff, and two big question marks, in Freddie Peralta, and a Corbin Burns. I don't exactly know where to go from here. I don't know what the next step is. And that's assuming that Corbin Burns makes the next start because that's not a given. Craig Council talked earlier today, said that that's not set in stone yet. So I wonder. Because there's got to be more going on behind the scenes. I'm not a conspiracy theory guy here. I'm not trying to <laughs> say that there's something dark and something sinister in the works. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just, I'm just wondering. Because I don't think the Brewers necessarily may have... Hasn't gone exactly how they were planning. Let's just say that. Because they didn't have that extra piece available and ready to go. Because I don't think Chase Anderson's that. And I don't think they want to pull Junior Garrett out of the bullpen. So that's where we sit. Zach Davies taking on the Dodgers tonight. 7.10 p.m. First pitch here on WKTY. About 6.35 for the pregame. Don't have to wait long after my show wraps up. Tomorrow we'll take a peek at game three. Which will be played on Saturday. Bucks-Pistons as we look Closer and closer to what may end up being a sweep for Milwaukee. And, of course, we'll talk Brewers-Dodgers as well. And maybe we'll have some news regarding Corbin Burns, regarding Freddie Peralta. Whatever comes out, we'll talk about it tomorrow. Same time, same place. Talk to you then.